Welcome to Brainstorm, Decoding Depression, where we will dig into discussions about mood disorders. We are here to change the way we think and talk about depression in an accessible, approachable way with a leading expert in the field. No topic is off limits. Coming to you from Dallas, Texas, this is Brainstorm. Welcome back to Brainstorm, Decoding Depression. I'm Katherine Huff, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Last episode, we talked about our ambitious and promising plan to transform mental health care in Texas with the $10 million Lone Star Prize Award from Lida Hill Philanthropies. Dr. Trevetti walked us through the timeline in creating a measurement-based care system that can be integrated into primary care clinics to screen, diagnose, and treat mental health, and how this will impact Texans and the future of mental health care. Today, we will be shifting focus and talking about our research into biosignatures for depression in order to make our way to a more accurate diagnosis and more personalized and precise treatment. The opinions expressed are only our own and do not reflect those of UT Southwestern, the O'Donnell Brain Institute, the UT system, or the state. So let's just start with some of the basics. Dr. Trevetti, can you tell us what is a biosignature or a biomarker? Not necessarily for depression, but just the definition so our listeners can follow along with the conversation. So a biosignature is a fancy way of saying it's like a fingerprint of your illness. So what is basically a combination, unique combination of features for you and your illness that helps us diagnose, treat, select the right treatment, and make sure we monitor how you're doing. So... For a sore throat, for example, the doctor checks for fever, body aches, high blood cell count, and other symptoms, combines that information with tests that identify the specific bug that made you sick. Then they choose the right treatment. Then they monitor its effect on these very parameters. So that sort of approach for any illness, including depression, is what we need to learn so that we can then get the best answer for any given individual because there are so many variations in how people experience these diseases and what really should be the target of change is different for different people. So these blood-based, brain-based markers coupled with other things like clinical assessments really give you the best signature, the best biosignature for that individual at any given time, that changes over time. So that's really the approach. Okay, great. So biomarkers are basically indicators, whether brain or blood tests, that can point us towards a definitive diagnosis or a treatment plan. Why is it so important that we identify biomarkers for depression? Because two things, one is this is an extremely common illness. There are over 300 million people in the, in the world, about 17 million people in the United States who have depression, and not everybody's depression is the same. There are separate, different subgroups. Some people have a, a component of the illness that really affects how they deal with pleasure. Some people have depression that affects how they deal with negative emotions. Some other people have trouble 
really navigating the stress so that their inflammation system is actually dysfunctional. So there are many different subtypes, subgroups of people, like with other medical illnesses. Otherwise, every illness would have just one treatment because it works, but that is not true. So most chronic medical diseases, like heart disease, like depression, have many subtypes. And in order for us to try to pinpoint any given individual in the office, which subtype, which subgroup they belong to, and within the subgroup, which particular treatment would be best, we have to really do the hard work of identifying these biosignatures. And there is a variety of these markers that go through all the way from genes, protein networks, cells in the body, brain structure, brain function, and a lot of other tests like gut microbiome we'll talk about. So there are many different aspects of disease that can be identified, and therefore then we can find the best treatment. And why is it so important to find a precise treatment? Because for depression, especially for NAV, we are currently used for the last 30 years, even though we have very good treatments, we end up depending on symptom presentations, on interviews, and not on objective blood or brain tests. And the result of that, unfortunately, is that the treatment currently used in the U.S. and world over is ultimately a trial and error process. A patient goes to a doctor, the doctor says, you have this, you have depression, let's try this. They are not sure that that is exactly the right treatment because there were, are not enough blood and brain tests right now already in practice that can be used. And so that is the work we are doing at, as part of our research. And we are beginning to get wonderful initial findings that we have published and we can actually see that the light at the end of the tunnel. There are some tests we will talk about that are already available that should be used in practice and more to come in the next few years. Wow, it is definitely important to search for biomarkers, especially when we compare it to other illnesses that we can easily and accurately diagnose and treat. Uh, we should be able to do that with depression too. So the idea is to find these indicators so we can improve our ability to diagnose and our ability to provide precise treatment. Let's just talk about the different types of biomarkers, lay the groundwork. I'm gonna ask about the research that you mentioned later, but can you tell us about some of the most promising biomarkers for depression? So you mentioned brain and blood tests. So we know for two things. One is the brain is really where the heart of depression is. Depression is a brain disease. So there are circuits in the brain that uh, are really develop during uh, early childhood and then during puberty and just around that in the initial period, 12 to 18 years, there is really extreme pruning happening in the brain so that the final circuits are laid out. Those circuits really are responsible for the way you think, the way you feel, the way you talk, the way you behave, the way you deal with negative emotions, with reward, etc. In people who have depression, these circuits are affected. So therefore, brain uh, imaging, uh, uh, EEG, et cetera, we'll talk about. There are many different tools available to us to understand these circuits and how they're not working. So EEG and fMRI are used for that. When the person has depression, it's not only the brain, but because of the effects of these in the brain, there are indicators in the blood so that we have blood tests we can use. There are indicators in the gut microbiome, so those can be used. 
and <clears throat> there are clinical presentations so that different people have different ways they experience depression. All these together really are beginning to give us very solid clues about subtypes, subgroups of people with depression. This is really cool stuff. So for our listeners, uh, don't be intimidated by the medical terminology. We're just going to break some of that down quickly. Let's go over each of those things first. So what is an EEG? So I am a physician, so I have to use medical terminology. Mm -hmm, yeah. But uh, EEG is really simple. It is like people have heard about EKG or ECG, which checks the electrical activity in your heart to, in order to find out how the heart is functioning. The same for the brain is called electroencephalogram. That measures electrical signals from the brain, and we can therefore identify the connections in different parts of the brain. When they are awry, when they don't work together, then you find, experience symptoms like depression, lack of interest, lack of pleasure, difficulty concentrating, etc. And so EEG is one tool that is non-invasive. It is a simple cap on your head like a shower cap. And you sit with a computer attached to the, to the electrodes in the head, which do not, which just pick up electrical activity in the brain. They're not sending any signals into the brain. Got it. And that really is then mapped onto a 3D image so that we know how your brain is functioning when we do EEG or electroencephalogram. So it's a very non-invasive, a simple cap on your head. Increasingly, these caps are very easy to use and you sit for 30 to 45 minutes on a chair and we can get the signals. Awesome. So what is MRI and fMRI and what's the difference? So people have seen these fancy images of their knees, of their ankles, of their shoulders when they do an MRI. So MRI is another non-invasive way of looking into the brain. Ma MRI is magnetic resonance imaging. It's basically brain imaging. It's non-invasive. You do not inject anything. It's just a picking up the electrical, uh, I mean, the magnetic activity in the brain. So when the brain is functioning, it creates signals that is picked up by the machine called MRI. And we look at the MRI in depression in two ways. One, we look at the structure, like the geography of the brain. But more importantly, because that's where the dysfunction often is, and that is the functioning of the brain. We use it by measuring functional MRI. And the functional MRI can be done in several ways. We do it just by putting the person in the MRI scanner and ask them to just close their eyes and we are looking at their basal activity. Then we give them some tasks like experience pleasure, experience uh, negative emotions, etc. And these tasks give us a way to map how does your circuit work when you're performing these tasks, because they mimic what our patients with depression go through. Great. And what are inflammatory markers in blood? So then, as I mentioned earlier, the brain effects can also lead to changes in how the body responds. So therefore, these changes are reflected in many different signals in the brain, in the body. One of them is looking at the process of inflammation because it is responsive to stress. 
There are other markers called metabolic markers, like we see for diabetes. Similar markers for depression also can be seen. So these can be then measured in the blood in many different ways. One of them is proteins. So inflammatory markers can be measured by measuring some of the inflammatory proteins in the blood. Okay. We can also look at white blood cells and how they express this inflammation. So there are many different components. We can do, look at uh, g d genes and RNA sequencing, etc. So it's basically giving you, again, a tracing of what is going on in the body in response to negative emotions, etc. And then lastly, you mentioned gut microbiome. What is that? So the, 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 the gut in all of us has a lot of microbiomes microbes in the gut that actually process all the food we eat, all the, uh, all the <clears throat> effects of stress also can lead to changes in that gut microbiome. And based on that, you can actually identify dysfunction in somebody because if there is a different, uh, a different distribution of these microbes in the gut, that may affect the wall in the gut, and then proteins may leak into the blood, etc. so we can measure that. For example, we looked at one ex particular protein called IL-17, which is made only in the gut. When we found that level increase in the blood, we could tell that that means there is something wrong with that person's gut microbiome. Really interesting. So now that we have the basics, we know the type of biomarkers we're interested in. Let's talk now about the research you've conducted and are currently conducting in line with these goals. Can you tell us about your first biomarker studies? So I think that we have, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, Stardy gave us a very good roadmap of how best to think about sequences of treatments, how to monitor treatment, et cetera and can lead to improvement in a sizable proportion of patients, but it still leaves a large number of people for whom trial and error still remains a reality. So it was becoming very clear that we need to understand the body's biology, by brain and blood biology. And in the, during that time, our technology improved, so our tools for MRI, for EEG, artificial intelligence in order to interpret these data became much better and we launched a study called Embark, which was the first ever large-scale biomarker identification study that was funded by the NIMH for depression. And I led that effort and we actually completed that study uh, with a very large sample and we have now been publishing results from that over the last three years. And some of the most amazing findings from that study have been published in nature journals as well as top psychiatry journals. So can you tell us a little bit about those discoveries? So what we found was uh, basically the, in terms of brain-based markers, we looked at EEG and found several things. But one distillation is that we found signatures for people who will do much. So in a normal sample, anytime you do a study with an antidepressant like Zoloft or sertraline or Prozac, et cetera, then about a third of the people get better. When we did this study, we looked at EEG and mapped the signature of people who had the dysfunction. And when we matched that with sertraline's response, we found that if patients who had that signature, that circuit that was abnormal, and got sertraline, their remission rates were double the 
rate you see normally. So what tells you is that in depression, like with diabetes, if you can identify the signature for a given patient with EEG, you can improve the outcomes by almost doubling it. And if we can do that same thing, which we found with, say, imaging, we looked at connectivity across networks with functional MRI and found the same thing with a slightly different signature so that when we eventually combine these, that is what a biosignature is, then we may will be able to find the precise fingerprint for any given person and say that for you, sertraline or Zoloft is best. For somebody else, magnetic stimulation may be best. For somebody else, exercise may be best. So that's the set of findings that we have begun to get even with this randomized trial. Our task now is to take this to the real world and get it in a large sample, and we'll talk a little about that. That's really incredible. Um, did Embark have any uh, blood tests or any results from that, or was it just the EEG can predict uh, treatment response? We looked, uh, so EEG and MRI and some cognitive and behavior tests have shown us signatures that was very right. helpful. For the blood test, we found the same thing, but before, but in coupled with that, we had done another study where we found actually four wonderful markers that give us an idea about inflammation. So we looked at a simple thing called C-reactive protein. And we had there, in that other study, compared an SSRI with bupropion, which works through a different mechanism. And we found that normally, uh, if there is no in inflammation, that is, if CRP is not elevated, the remission rates for, cert uh, for the SSRI are very good, close to 60%. But if there is elevation of C-reactive protein above one, then their remission rates are close to 25%. So that means that treatment is not good for them. Fortunately, in that study, what we found is for those patients who had elevated CRP, if they got bupropion, their remission rates are close to 60%. So therefore, tells us that if we had done the test and then decided which treatment, we could have doubled the remission rates for that population. And skipped the trying multiple medications to get there. Absolutely. And we found several blood-based markers in that study, what we call COMED, where we had compared these two different treatments. Fantastic. And you're really just beginning. So tell us about uh, your current biomarker research. So right now, we are really think of us as now a group that is focusing on early detection in young people because depression should also be seen much more as a pediatric illness. For most people who will develop depression, their first onset is before the age of 18. So this is a very devastating reality that it is a, it begins very early, unlike some other diseases like Alzheimer's that doesn't. And so what we are focusing on is this young population. So we have two large-scale efforts. One is called TRAD, which is a Texas Resilience Against Depression Study, where we, our goal is to recruit 5,000 people, half of them with depression and the other half who are siblings or offspring of people who have depression. So they're quote-unquote at risk. And we are developing the same kinds of markers across longitudinally over years, and the reason for doing that is twofold. We, as we mentioned from Embark, we can begin to develop a signature. We want to now prove it in a different sample. 
Secondly, we want to show what happens longitudinally over months and years rather than just once. And the third is, this is very similar to the efforts done in other diseases. So 80 years back, somebody in Framingham, Massachusetts started what is called the Framingham study. That study and a number of other studies related to that has been responsible for us finding out that it's not only LDL for heart disease, it is LDL, which is low density lipoprotein, but other kinds of cholesterol, HDL, triglycerides, exercise, what kind of diet you eat, all of those things help you decide about heart disease. So therefore, all the lessons learned from for heart disease came from that and many other studies, but that started it. So we have launched a similar effort for depression, and that's really uh, a fascinating study that's already started, beginning to give us results, and we'll continue to do that. Um, have you re uh, seen any results from TRAD so far? We are beginning to replicate a number of the findings from, from blood-based markers as well as imaging markers. In fact, we just uh, uh, have a paper coming out looking at the circuits in the brain associated with irritability and suicidal ideation that tells us that if that circuit is identified, that group of people are at a higher risk for suicide attempts and we better do something. So we are beginning to get the results very early, which was not originally imagined, but we are, I think that this is very exciting. We are already getting some of the early results and publishing those, and more will come as the time goes on. Yeah, that's fantastic. So earlier we were talking, and the, the main goals of these are really precision treatment, but they're also kind of predictive models, right? So we can potentially tell who may develop depression or suicidality. And there's another study related to that? We have been looking at uh, kids who have attempted suicide who are admitted to our intensive outpatient program called SPARC at Children's Medical Center with our colleagues at Children's Medical Center with Dr. Graham Emsley and Dr. Betsy Kennard, et cetera. These kids who are admitted even to the best programs in the country like ours and, and, and nationally at Columbia, et cetera, unfortunately, 25% of these kids will attempt suicide again. So therefore, it is critical we identify markers for these kids so that we can separate these 25% and pay more attention to them. So we found actually looking at a protein marker for inflammation called IL-4 that shows changes in that marker is associated with those kids who attempt suicide again. So wow. if we can now begin to do this nor regularly and see that somebody coming in there attempted suicide, if their IL-4 is, is abnormal, we can pay more attention to them and hopefully avoid that. That's incredible. We are also doing treatment studies with it. So we got a grant from NIMH to do ketamine for that population. And so we are doing a treatment study to see if that can reduce uh, an exact kind of attention that this IL-4 marker can help us do. Wow. And you're searching for more mic markers on top of IL-4 in those uh, kids? Absolutely. What we are doing in that, which it was also coupled with a grant from American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, is to try to actually develop a full biosignature, a full fingerprint of the protein markers in that, that uh, group of kids who attempt suicide so that we can actually prevent future episodes of suicide. Wow. So between the brain mapping and the blood markers that you're finding, we're already really on an encouraging path. 
Earlier, you also mentioned gut microbiome. Do we have more insights about that relationship yet? So we are. There are animal models that show that the changes in the microbiome in the gut is associated with symptoms with presentation like anxiety and depression, and we are now beginning to do that. There are early findings that that give us very good signals, but I think more to come. Great. That will be definitely interesting to learn more about. Uh, when it comes to translating these results into practice, how easy will it be to implement these findings? At the start of this, you said that there are uh, tests available. Can we right now go to our doctor and request a CRP test or EEG imaging to get the right treatment? I think that uh, to be uh, transparent, I think we are a little, with a, probably a couple years away from where reimbursement for these things can be accomplished, but otherwise they should be available. All these tests I'm talking about are easy to do. They're available com uh, in any health system you go to. Whether that will be reimbursed or not will take the next few years to convince payers to do that. Well, we hope we can get the word out about that and uh, we could use your help uh, with that mission. So thanks so much for all of this information, and thanks uh, to our listeners for following along with our discussion. That's it for this episode of Brainstorm, Decoding Depression, with your hosts from the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. Be sure to follow us on social media at UTSW underscore CDRC, so you don't miss our episode announcements. If you have suggestions for topics or questions you'd like answered, we have a new email address just for this podcast, decodingdepressionpodcast at utsouthwestern.edu. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.